Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Late Flag, the aftermatch podcast of the LFC Red Poets. Tonight, we're going to look back on Liverpool's uh, uh, very good 4 0 win away at Bournemouth this afternoon, a result that, that takes Liverpool five points clear again at the top of the Premier League, although the 115ers still have a game in on. Tonight, I'm joined by my cohort and my partner in crime, Pete Warburton, and also Ben Kent Jr. Tommy isn't with us tonight because he's recovering from his knee operation. And for those of you who are, who are wondering how he is, his recovery is coming on very, very well. With a bit of luck, he might be with us after the after the Fulham game in in midweek. But he certainly won't be back on the on the cop for a, a good few games yet. But his his operation has gone really well. So Pete, when the when the team dropped at half past three, there wasn't really a lot of a lot of room for manoeuvre from Jurgen, was there? It was just a case of which which three from four were going to play up front, and you know who was going to be which three from four were going to play in midfield, and that was that was the only choice. I think it was really between Harvey and Gravenberch, wasn't it, for the final place in the midfield, and then up front it was just which one he was going to miss out. So were you happy when you seen the 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 starting eleven that Jurgen come up with? Yeah, I was happy enough, like you say. Really, there was no surprises there. Um, the back five picked itself, really, didn't it? We had Connor Bradley starting again, and Joe at left back. Um, it was. I think it was always going to be Canarsie to partner Van Dyke, and then as you say, further forward, it was whether Gravenberg got the nod ahead of Harvey or or even even um, Curtis for that matter. Um, and then up front was it going to be Gakpo starting? Um, but I like this. I like the shape of the side. I like the front three because I think, as I was saying a couple of programs ago or editions ago, I like to see Nunes starting on the left, um, and with Jossard up the middle. So I, I think, yeah, all in all, I think it was more or less the team we expected. You looked at the bench, and it was quite a few kids there, um, along with Gravenberch. Um, and what's the name Gakpo who came on later on in the second half? So it was no real surprise. The eleven, as I say, with with the injuries we've gotten and the people being away on international duty, um, it was more or less the eleven that we expected. I would think. Any surprises from you, Ben? Anything that that you would have liked to have seen that was different from the starting eleven that that Jurgen sent out? No, um, like I watched the the game with my dad today and. We were talking about the team before it dropped at half three, half three, and it was pretty much the team I ex- we both expected. The only thing I thought Jürgen might have done was play Gakpo in midfield, but I'm glad that he didn't. Um, but yeah, I had no qualms with the team. It's the team I would have picked, to be honest. Yeah, Pete, so Liverpool sort of, the first sort of two minutes was really, you know, a little bit of a, the dodgy part of the game for us where they sort of come out. Liverpool kept giving them the ball back. We kept winning it yeah. and then giving it back rather than keeping it. And we put ourselves under some unnecessary pressure in those first couple of minutes, Pete. Yeah, I think, to be honest, looking back over the full 90, I think the first thing Liverpool had to do was master the weather more than anything else. We expected Bournemouth to come at us because they're the home team and it's a little tight ground. I think it only holds about 11,000, 12,000. So you, you expect the atmosphere. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a couple of occasions where I think we were trying to get our passing game together, and and the wind was just was just stopping it, and we were losing possession, and it gave them a little bit of um, bit of a fillip really to come forward at us, and he threw a couple of crosses in. I don't think anything was really hairy at, at that stage. But as I say, I think the first thing we had to master was was the conditions, and then um, once we once we got a foothold in the game, our midfields specifically McAllister, I thought he had a fantastic first half, and he just started controlling the ball better. Um, and there was no real, I don't think there was one, there was one cross I remember um, that went right across the face of the goal, and Solanke couldn't get onto it. But that apart, I can't really remember any real scares at the back. As I say, it was more a case of get the ball down and 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 try and master the weather. I think when we played there earlier on this season in the cup, I think the conditions were pretty similar, to be honest, where it was gusting, you know. So I think that was the main thing, get the ball down and then start getting possession. And and, and that's how it worked out. Yeah, it was, a, it was a sloppy start, wasn't it, Ben? You know, where, where you know, you... You're sort of trying to say the luck wake up. You know, let's sort of start keeping possession for a little bit. You know, let's sort of let's calm it down. Don't give them any momentum whatsoever. And it eventually we sort of started to settle down. But that first sort of few minutes was a little bit, you know, hairy, wasn't it? You know, in the terms of as Pete said, not that they really created anything, but we give them a lot of possession. Around about our box, where they could have done. Yeah, I mean, it was only really the first few minutes, wasn't it? And I think it was three minutes in, and Sky were like Bournemouth for all over the ball. And I was thinking, Christ, it's only three minutes, and they hadn't they hadn't had any one on ones, any guilt or chance <coughs> or anything like that. They had three corners, I think, and that that was more a case of down to our sloppiness. I think. The first one came from Curtis Jones doing the wrong decision from the kickoff. Um, but it wasn't an ideal start. But as Pete says, the weather, I mean, I, I don't know what it's like where you are now, but the weather here is horrendous, like just the wind outside. And I don't know how bad it was in Bournemouth, but Sky picked up on it, especially in the second half. Um, and it was obviously playing havoc. And it does seem to be a case that every time we play down there, there's always something like the weather against us or something like that. Um but yeah, it was a sloppy start. It wasn't ideal. Um, and it looked, and I think I alluded to this the last time I was on the pod about this being a potential banana skin in the fact that after we've had a week or two off, it always takes us a little bit of time to get into the game. And I think today was a prime example of that. But at no point was I on the edge of my seat, nervous or anything like that. It just wasn't a particularly strong start from us. Yeah, Peter, after the start, we started to get a little bit more possession, started to to sort of take control of the game, really, without really creating anything major. And then there was a, a really poor tackle um, on Louis Diaz that, you know, you, you sort of shake your head in disbelief until you then remember who the, the VAR official is in Paul Tierney to wonder, you know, why that isn't, isn't getting reviewed. I mean, you know, I keep coming back to, and even the commentators picked up on it and said, you know, oh, you know, Curtis Jones got sent off, you know, for a similar tackle. To me, that's worse. The ball's no, no, nowhere near it. And, you know, at least Curtis had mitigating circumstances where his foot 
sort of slipped over the ball. But once again, you know, no referral to the to the VAR official. Not that you you want players getting sent off because it it invariably spoils the game. But at the end of the day, you want consistency, don't you? And that's the one thing you don't get. The only consistent thing about the PGMOL is their inconsistency. Yeah, I mean, we keep saying the C word, don't we? Every week we want consistency. And I, I was amazed he didn't get a yellow card, to be honest. It was at least a yellow. Um, I mean, I've said on... What's that, mate? It wasn't even a foul. He didn't give a foul. No, he didn't he give didn't anything. Give That's what he I'm was. saying. It was at least a yellow. And then, so not even not even sort of review it. Um I, I just couldn't believe it, and then you, you do look at the it's you do look at the case. We keep referring to the Curtis Jones incident at, uh, at Tottenham, and rightly so because how many times this season have we seen it? Not just in our games, but other games where things like that have gone unpunished, and then there's been other 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 things where there's been hardly any contact, yeah. and you know Calvert Lewin got Palace sent the one, Palace. 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 Oh, you... Palace the one against the, the McAllister yeah. one against the when McAllister got sent off. It was on VAR that day, Ben. Go on. Teeny. Les, so just to jump in a little bit on this VAR review, one of of my mates in Australia was watching it and their TV said it was reviewed. Yeah, Um, it it will have been looked at. What I'm saying is, you know, everything like that gets looked at. Mm. What what I'm saying is when you say reviewed, is they didn't send the referee over to the... Over to the you know to the screen to have a look at it. He's basically looked at that and thought, yeah, that's fine to do that. But when he, but then it wasn't fine when McAllister did it, and it's the same guy on VAR. Yeah, so that's what. It, yeah, what I, I, don't saying, even, I don't even think it was the worst decision of the day either. To be honest, but I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. but what what I was going on to say was it's not just because we're we're obviously fanatical Liverpool fans, and if it goes against us, there's other incidents. In other games, I mean, I, I watched the Palace Everton game and I thought Calvert was was unlucky to get sent off, and that was rescinded. Mm. But it's, you know, it's, it, I don't know. I, I was going to say we don't know who's 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 making these decisions. There is a, there is a particular name that keeps coming up, isn't if, it? If that's yeah. the other way around, and Diaz, oh God, yeah, he's off, and I've got no yeah. doubts about that. Yeah. I know that's the thing, and as I say, there is a common denominator here, um, and we all know it's the teeny factor. You know, yeah. that, I mean, I didn't think the ref had a particularly poor game today, apart from that decision. I thought he tried to let the game flow a bit. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't agree with that, Pete. What's that, mate? I don't agree with that, Pete. I thought he was awful in the fact yeah. that he was letting things go that he should never yeah. have let go. There was, another decision. there was another decision in the second half, which I think Ben alluded to, and, and we should have got a decision there once again. If it was reviewed, it was very cursory glance because it, you, you saw it, and we'll come on to it in the second half, but we all know what I'm talking about. And I, I mean, there are times I think games can be disrupted because the referees are too efficient and they, and they blow up for a little and everything. And I just thought there was certain times today that I thought he tried to let the games flow a bit. But that decision, specifically not to give a free kick in the first place, but then not to even bring a card out, was, I didn't understand the logic in that whatsoever, to be honest. So, I mean, he kept, I mean, what, what, you know, some of the things that he was sort of blowing for, the sort of thing, 
what have you what have you give a file for that for? Mm-hmm. And there's other things that he was letting go, and you're thinking, you know, that's a clear, that's a clear foul, and you're letting it go. I'm all for referees trying to let the game flow because there's nothing more annoying, especially when you're playing a so-called lesser team, when the game gets sort of broken up because there's free kicks every now and again. But you know, some of the things he was he wasn't given and given were just were just blowing my head. Ben, there was one less where one of their I think it was one of their midfielders pulled down. Was it Elliot? I can't remember who it was who was running through. Yeah, well, sir. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and then he didn't book him. And I, I was saying to me, Dad, how the hell has he not booked him there? But then you get Alan Smith on co-commentator saying, oh, yeah, because there's a defender. That's the he reason he's not booked. Him. And I'm thinking, OK, fair enough. Why didn't he two-foot him then? Because there's still a defender there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a yellow yeah. card. I just, yeah, beggar belief. Yeah, but we started to get control, didn't we, of the of the game, and we started to to push them back, and they were becoming less and less of a threat. And I can't really remember in the first half, you know, Ali having a having a save to make, and I thought that you know Alexis McAllister was particularly good. In fact, mm. you know, I thought that was probably you know his best game for Liverpool, and he he does seem to be. To be getting you know better and better, doesn't he? You know he had, and you just wonder, don't you, Ben, whether you know that period he had out of the team, you know when he when he got that injury, um, and he was out for three weeks, has given that little bit of a rest, and he's come back, you know, a bit a bit refreshed, and so and and the way Hendo had come in and and, and played during his absence, had meant that he also had to up his level, if you like. So that you know, he was showing to everybody, look, you know, he's played well, but I, I'm showing you now what I can do. And I thought he was I thought he was really, really good, reading the game really well, breaking up any time any any possession that they had, and I thought his passing was brilliant. His whole game was, was spot on today. Um I I really, really like McAllister. I said it on this, I think early days at the start of the season, I said what a great player I think he is and I think it helps now um, after that break that he had um, he's come back into a team that's a lot more confident and a lot better than it was when we first started the season when when he was first in the team it was a whole new midfield wasn't it it was it was like throwing three lads together that had never met um, and as well as they did you could sort of see that in in patches He's adapting to the role a lot better now. Um, I'd still think that Endo will take the number six when he comes back from the Asian Cup. And McAllister, we might see a little bit further up. But today, I thought, I'm not quite sure if I thought it was his best game for Liverpool, but it was right up there. Um, and um, I'm sure he'll be in contention for something else that we talk about later today. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm but, I think, just, sorry, Pete, go on. Just, just to go on on that subject, I think, when he first started playing that number six role, I think we weren't we weren't absolutely worried about him. But there were some times where he was getting caught in possession, and you could tell it wasn't his his desired role in the team. But you've got I'm I'm with, I'm with Ben on that and yourself. I think when Endo comes back, he will be the the first choice. But if we're you really, our, you really think that both you when you've got yeah. when you've yeah. got yeah. you know, supposedly I. So Bosley, I and Jones for the two, for the two eights called it. 
you know, if they're if they're fit and available, do you really see one of them not playing and McAllister moving to an eight and and or or being on the bench and then they'll start ahead of him? Because I don't. Yeah. Well, what you've got to remember is at the moment, we're we're in four competitions still. We're not going to do a Shankly and play the same 11 as last season, you know what I I mean? I know that, but but I didn't know you were talking about rotating. I think, yeah, they'll be rotated, but I think when push comes to shove, I think that, for me, McAllister is always going to be the first choice number six if you're playing a major game. I, I don't think he'll last, honestly. I, I think, think he'll start Endo, and if, if Endo had to come off for whatever reason, whether he got an injury or he was fatigued or anything, I don't think there's any worry now with Liverpool fans, is what I'm saying, is McAllister slotting into that role, because he's but, he's adapted, like, like Ben said, he's adapted to it now. Just let me clarify what you two are saying here, so we can revisit this later, later this season. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong here. I'm not. I'm not sort of doubting Endo's ability because I think Endo quite rightly got our player of the month before he went off. You know to play in the Asian Cup, but if Liverpool are playing in a in a major game where they're being just let's say Manchester City at home, right? You've got all your midfielders are fit, right? Including supposedly Iron Curtis Jones. Are you telling me they're bunting you? By starting Endo and leaving one of McAllister, Jones, and Sabozlei on the bench, and yeah, which one yeah. would it be? Yeah. So we'll start with you then, Pete. I'd leave Jones on the bench if those if everyone was fit. I'd start with Endo and have McAllister and Sabozlei starting. I'd, I would certainly start Endo as the number six. I, I think he's he's proven in a Liverpool shirt to be a better number six. I'm not saying he's a better player, but he's a better number six. And right. by, by, me, by me saying leaving Curtis out, that's no disrespect to Curtis. You can only pick three, yet another three. Yeah. But Les, I, I don't think we've got... like It's not like the days where we had Bobby, um, Sadio and Mo up front where they were guaranteed three. We haven't got that anywhere now. So it's very rare that we're going to have everybody fit anyway. And I I don't think Jürgen knows his strongest 11 because I don't I don't know if there is one. No, but for me, I mean, I'll differ. For me, if everybody's fit and available for me, my midfield three for Manchester City would be McAllister's to six, Jones to the left eight, and supposedly I to the right eight. And that would be my, my midfield. But that's no slight on, on Endo whatsoever. But that, that's just what I do. So it's, it's really interesting. That's why I pushed it. Because it's really interesting because, you know, difference of opinions. It would be interesting to see, you know, when the when the listeners who, you know, listen to the podcast, you know, what they actually feel about it. Because, as I say, you know, it's, it's really good that, as you both said there before, you know, there's not that sort of trepidation anymore, you know, for Endo coming in and, and playing as the six. Because he he'd done it really really well prior to going to the Asia Cup and proved that he could he could actually hold his own in the Premier League. So that that was a really sort of good diversion then from the from the discussion. So yeah, so as the first half went on, you know we couldn't we couldn't get the breakthrough to you know to go in a half time, you know in the lead, Pete. So were you 
you actually concerned at half time that you're know, like Sky was saying that the game's on a knife edge and were you actually concerned that you know we we couldn't get we wouldn't get the three points or or were you always confident that that Liverpool would do like they have done a lot of times this season, come out stronger in the second half and and basically do the job that was needed? Yeah, I was never really concerned and that's not being sort of big headed or like you say, we always come on stronger in the second half. The amount of games this season, even where we've gone behind, and then we've clawed it back and then gone on to win games. So I was never really concerned. Um, as I say, the only thing, the only concerning thing, if that's the right word, is that we 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 started slowly in the first half, and he didn't want to replicate that in the second. He wanted to come out and carry on, you know, bossing the ball, you know, the possession and stuff like that. And I just thought. You know, even if it took, I think the one thing that you can learn from this Liverpool side and previous Liverpool sides is not to panic. You know, even if you go, like we went behind to Fulham in a couple of weeks, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and there was no real panic setting it. You know what I mean? And we were we were on parity at half time. It's not like we were losing. And I just thought that it's the old adage that if you if you match the opposition for for um. If you match the opposition, I think it was was it Ronnie Moran who used to say it and stuff like that. If you match the efforts, you're gonna you're gonna win the game because you're better players all over the pitch. And so it proved. And as I say, unless it got to eighty nine minutes and it was still nil nil, I'd start panicking then. But I just thought in the second half, I thought the class had, you know would show, and um, it was nice actually to come out and. I think it was within five minutes we got the first goal and that just settled every you know, not that anyone was panicking, but it, it just it was the springboard then for us to carry on and, and just dominate the game from there on. Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it, Ben, that that Jürgen actually tweaked it when we come out for the second half in that Diaz went back down the left, Nunes went down the middle, and Jota went went from the right and Jota sort of was really influential in that second half. I mean it was a it was a lovely pass for for Nunes to score and it was a hell of a finish. And I know you've been slightly critical of Nunes, but he's the only player in the Premier League who's got ten goals and ten assists. So he's not doing a bad job, is he? No. And nobody will be happier than me if he proves me wrong. And it's not when I'm critical of him, it's because he just frustrates me because he's got everything that you'd want a striker to have. Um, but when he misses the chances that he should be scoring, uh, it it does just wind me up and I can't help that. I'm despair of the moment, he does do my head in, but he's still got everything that you'd want. I mean, the, the WhatsApp group that I'm in um, for the lads to go to the game with... A few of them said, you know, if he if he if Nunes scores the chances which he gets now, we we win the league, and it's not a debate. And I think we'll all agree with that. Um, and hopefully he does deliver. And today was another example of the positive that he can bring to the team, but not just him, Jota as well. Um, I, thought I don't think was... anybody has ever doubted Jota. You know, no. Jota, Jota reminds me, and y- your dad might. Your dad might, if your dad was on the podcast, he might sort of agree with what I'm going to say here. It reminds me of a of a of a, a clone between Kevin Keegan and Robbie Fowler, um, and that, that, I praise to, that. Pay him, to pay him those compliments. Yeah. Right, that just shows how good he is. 
Right. Jamie Carragher said today on Sky on tonight that he's the best finisher at the club. And I've said that before on here. I, I firmly believe he is. Um, some of the chances that he puts away, I don't think any of our other strikers do. Um, and he's just been incredibly unlucky with injuries. And what I said to the lads today was the two of them, um, Nunes and Jota, are both equally important now for this running um, in different ways. Um, just a case of keeping them both fit. Um, but I thought in the second half, they were both exceptional. And that first goal, the, the move was just great. Um, it was a bit of a throwback to the way that we played a few years ago um, with the, the quick passing and it was a brilliant finish. Um, and I, I wasn't nervous at half-time. Um, the only reason I was slightly nervous was I realised I, I hadn't got my lucky socks on. Um, well, did you I, put them on? No. The you know, second half? You know what? It gets even worse. I didn't because I had um, my son was sitting on my knee and I completely um, forgot about it. And then we scored so early in the second half. I thought pretty much, you know, I don't need to now. <laughs> um, but I would have ran upstairs if they would have scored. Put it that way. Um, but no, like I thought, we came out in the second half and we looked a far more organised, confident, confident team. Yeah, Peter yeah. was it. It was a lovely finishing. I mean. Obviously, you've been watching Liverpool a little bit longer than I have. Do you see the the comparisons with Jota that I that I mentioned there between Keegan and Fowler? I do, yeah, because <clears throat> with Kevin Keegan, he was like a live wire, wasn't he? He was he was just everywhere. He was, you know, busy in himself. He was, you know, he was like closing down, but before before closing down became a thing in football and, and stuff like that. But he has, like Ben said, he, he's very cool. He's a cool finisher as well. When the chance comes, it, you know, more often than not, he puts it away. But just going on to Nunes again, I mean, I think all great strikers miss chances, to be honest. I mean, I I've, I remember seeing Ian Rush miss bloody sitters at times that it, I could, you think I could have put it. But it's when they're not in the positions that worries me. And I know it's been levelled at him that, you know, he snatches the chances and stuff like that. But I'll still go back to them two goals he scored at Newcastle to finish. They were fantastic finishes. And this first one today was the same. It was a fantastic finish and it was it was unselfish. Like Ben said, it was a cracking um, team move, that. And it was unselfish. I think Jota laid it on soon, didn't he? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the finish was fantastic. He didn't try and put his laces through it and try and bust the net. He passed it into the corner. And I'm not trying to say in any way, shape or form he's on the same level as Ian Rush, but it was an Ian Rush-type finish. The number of times you'd see Rush, he just passed the ball into the side of the net yeah. like that. And, you know, for that matter, you know, we've had other strikers that do it. But, yeah, I can see I can see a comparison with Keegan, like a hybrid of Keegan and, um, and Fowler, because you've got the work race of Keegan in Jota, but you've also got that cool finishing when the, when the chances come. You know, I remember, remember the goal he scored against Arsenal a couple of seasons ago where it was a bad back pass, but he, he sold about two dummies and put the goalie on his bum and he yeah. just passed it into the net and he doesn't snatch much of things. He's very, very clever what he does. Just and, and he's good in the air as well, Pete, for yeah. somebody of his yeah. side. Yeah, and I think I think today, I think they complemented one another well, those two. Mm. Um, they, they did, you know, I'm not saying they've got like this telepathic understanding that Tosh and Keegan had, but they did they did sort of dovetail very well today. And um I thought I thought 
I thought even Diaz, I mean, he, he took a, you know, that bad challenge that we've spoken about um, and he eventually came off, whether that was because of the injury or it was tactical or whatever. But I thought the front three, once they got, once they started busying themselves, they looked, um, they looked very good. Yeah. Um, so, Pete, it, was, it wasn't long, you know, before we got, we got the second goal. And again, you know, Connor Bradley, had a couple of chances before and didn't he one with a header at the back post that he got all wrong? And yeah. um, you know, and you know, a shot from the edge of the box. There was a really good save by the goalkeeper. Yeah. He was another one like we were talking about kids before. He's another one that's come in and he's just slotted into the team and he, he doesn't you know, he, he doesn't look out of place playing at right back. I think when he's come in, I think I think he got man of the match, didn't he? One of the last uh, programs we had, we gave him man of the match, um, and he didn't let himself down again today. And it would have been fantastic for him to put that header in, but it came off his head like a tripping bit. I don't know what happened there. Yeah, I and think if he, I think he'd been taking lessons from Big Joel because that was a Big Joel header, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah, but yeah, he had a, he had a great game, and um, that would have put the icing on if he'd have um, if he'd have got a head, you know, got his first. So it's a goal there, but um, I just thought I just thought as the game went on longer and longer. I mean, if we were still playing now, it'd be about twenty nil because I, th- I thought the longer the game went on, we were just going to open full them up at will. To be honest, I mean, and they, I know when they Bournemouth went behind, Bournemouth. Bournemouth, sorry, Bournemouth, I'm thinking of Wednesday night as yeah, well. Um, yeah. yeah, but if you know, I just thought the longer the game went on, we were we were going to get the more chances, and so we proved. To be honest. Yeah, so the second goal, Pete, a lovely finish. It was, right. yeah, yeah, and it, it that's that's what we've just been talking about with Chelsea. It was just, um, it, it's just so so cool when he when the chances present him, and it was it was a good ball by Cody who hadn't long been on the pitch. He came on, and you know, he, you probably thought at the time maybe Cody could have had a shot, but he he just looked up and he saw the space there and. and it was just the perfect way to pass. Um, he didn't have to break stride or anything, and he just slotted it away. Um, it was an odd one, really, because it went in off the near post, I think, didn't it? But, yeah. Um, it, was an odd, it looked like he, you know, the natural finish would have been to play to shoot across the goalkeeper. But um, in fairness, he, you know, as I say, he's, I think we all agree. Out of the front, the front. If if there's a one on one or there's someone who needs a cool finish, um, you could even probably race him above Mo. Maybe that's a bad, yeah. you know, a funny thing to say, but um, you know, you, you don't really get let down by Jota, and it was a really good finish, yeah. So, Ben, um, you know, as Peter said there, Cody, Cody come on with Ryan Gravenberch, and off went Elliot and Diaz. And I thought that those two were the right changes to make at that stage of the game. I don't know whether you agreed with that. Yeah, they were, but then when they came on, we sort of lost momentum for the next five minutes, and that was, um, I remember saying to my dad, this, since we've made those subs, um, we'd lost a bit of the impetus. We got it back, but Bright, eh, not right, Bournemouth had the best uh, little spell uh, besides the last few minutes when the game's already done um, in the half after those subs, and I think it took Granberg a few minutes to adjust to the game. Um, but yeah, I, I I mean, you looked at the bench today and I think it was pretty obvious that those two were going to be the first subs to come on barring an injury somewhere. Um, 
because there was a few on that bench which I'll hold my hands up I hadn't heard of really um, couldn't tell you where they'd play anyway um, so yeah Cody um, in particular well they both did alright actually when they came on I'm still a little bit sceptical on Gravenberg that he's at the level that we need at the moment um, but I don't have any doubt about Cody um, I would like to see him involved in the games more when he's on the pitch but when he does get involved um, he does offer something that our other strikers don't. Um, but yeah, going back to the Jota goal, it was crack and finish. Um, it was it was one of them. Like our, all of our five strikers, they offer something completely different to the rest. Um, and I don't think any of the other five would be able to do that finish in that way that Jota did. It, it just summed up the way he puts the ball in the back of the net. Um, so it, and it, it killed the game, didn't it? The second goal, when that went in, it was game over. Yeah, because Liverpool were, were so in, in control of the game, you know, at that point that that like you could only see more goals coming. And and sure enough, the old goal uh, come up with another one piece. This time he dummied with the first shot. And then <laughs> dummy to, to put the defender on his backside and when he <laughs> you know, when it bounced down, yeah, you know, what a tremendous volley that was, or half volley if you want to call it that. I was, I was going to say, who are we going to give the assist to? Are we going to give him the assist to his own goal, his, his actual goal? Or should we be a bit more charitable and say it was Conor Bradley's assist? Ah, oh, you've got to be charitable, please. Yeah, charitable, please. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was good that Conor got the assist then because, as I say, he had a good game. But, yeah, I mean, he, he should we say he missed the shot or he dummied the shot? I think he missed it, didn't he? But by doing that, he put... I think the thing that the two... Looking at the replay, the two defenders, if I was the Bournemouth manager, I'd be screaming at them for turning the back. Mm. They both turned the back. I mean, Van Dyke did it in the, I think it was the early part of the second half, but a bit later. You know what? I, I, think they, I, think I think they do repeat now because of the bloody arm ball rule. Yeah, I possibly. possibly yeah. But both but of them, I think... Alberto Moreno was probably 10 years ahead of his time in terms of doing that. <laughs> he always used to defend with his arms behind his back, didn't he? Hang on, uh-huh. hang on, Les. Did you just did you say he used to defend? <laughs> I thought, I mean. I, he was 10 years ahead of his time, Ben. <laughs> I thought he was part-time from one Russian ballets, the way he used to go about the pitch yeah. with his hands behind his back. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, I think, you know, the, the, their manager might say you don't turn your back, but by doing that, they turned the back and, and Joss has sort of flipped the first shot, and he, but he was alive to it and he, he, he put the he put the half volley, as you say, that was the fantastic finish again. So, yeah, we'll give the assist to Connor because he had a good game, Connor Bradley. Yeah, and then uh, a bit of a worrying injury then to Curtis. You know, he goes down just as they're about to kick off. After the third goal, and, and we take him off, and on comes Bobby Clark, and we also took off Connor at that point and replaced him with Owen Beck because I think I think Jürgen just didn't want to take the chance, did he, of Connor possibly picking up a second yellow card, mm-hmm. young, if he was getting tired or something, so give Owen Beck a run on the up and down the left, and he I thought him and Bobby Clark did well when they come on, and. Um, yeah, but it was worrying, wasn't it, to see Curtis go down? Um, you know, but, but think... hopefully, hopefully, it's just like a bit of a mm. bit of tightness, and Jürgen's quite hopeful that it's nothing. Yeah, mm. it didn't didn't look too bad when he went off. 
But yeah, you're right. It, it sort of reminded me of the one with Sabozla a few weeks ago when we were trying to get him off and he got injured beforehand because I'm pretty convinced Jones was going to go off anyway. Um, but <clears throat> something that was skipped over in the second half was that penalty decision. Yeah, I was going to come to that. We were going to have to fit. Go, but go on, Ben. So, and I, I, said, I said to my dad, like, I'm struggling now to know what the rules of football are. I think I know football quite well. That was a stonewall penalty, that. The only thing that I thought it might not have been is I thought it might have been out of the area when I first saw it, yeah. but it's clearly on the line. It's a clear foul. It, there's there's no if, but, or maybe about it. He gets absolutely nowhere near the ball and takes the man out. There's clearly yeah. contact. How the hell was that not given as a penalty? I'm not even with VAR by the referee. Yeah. that Well, that comes to my point that I was making earlier, Ben, to Pete, when he said he well, thought the referee did okay. Well, so that yeah. just sums up why he didn't. Plus the Lewis Diaz one, where exactly. he just gave a foul or a yellow card. No. You know what I mean? How do you... I, I I sort of have sympathy with the referee with the Diaz one because in normal play I didn't see it either, and I just thought it was a bit of a coming together. I didn't. It, Look, it you're relying quick. you're relying on the camera. His positioning should yeah, be telling him. I yeah, I agree with you on that. But I'm just saying when I watched it, I didn't think the Diaz one was that bad until I seen it on the replay one. But with the penalty one, I said it straight away, and it it was stonewall, and the fact that our we were still we still had the ball for a while, which is why our players didn't go mad, I don't think. But I just I don't get it. And then you get the commentators saying, Oh, I'm not sure. Like, how aren't you sure? Like it's a clear penalty. And I know it had no impact on the, the game. Doesn't make any difference, Ben. No, but no. it's a penalty, it's a penalty. <clears throat> it's so the frustrating thing... that these decisions are happening week in, week out. And like Yeah, I mean the thing today. When I said I thought he had an half-decent game, I thought he was trying to let the game flow. I hate these games that are just stop-start, stop-start, and that was the thing. Mm -hmm. But looking back on that, it was a penalty. And it's all right saying, yeah, we won 4-0. We could have been, it could have been 5-0. Yeah. And we have done our goal difference the world of good today, but it could have been even better, couldn't it? Mm -hmm. But I, I can't understand for the life of me why he didn't have a word in his ear and said, I think you better go back and have a look at that. Well, I think we know the reason why people... Oh, well, Paul, yeah. Two words, Paul Yeah, well, yeah. I was being a little bit thingy when I said it. But you know, I but... don't think like the commentators on Sky were good enough there either because they, they sort of glossed over it. And even with the... I know Jamie Carragher said, and I I sort of agree with what he was saying, that if I don't think Curtis Jones should have been sent off against Spurs, I don't think Dominic Calvert-Lewin should have been sent off against Palace. And if truth be told, with that in mind, today's one isn't a red card either, but because they are a red card, and, yeah. red card, and Jones was banned for three games. He missed yeah. three games because of that. Yeah. You know, he that could have derailed our season. We were down in numbers and everything, and he misses three games for a ridiculous decision. Um, there isn't any consistency. Well, there is. They're consistently crap. That that's what they are. Um, but anyway, to back to you, to back to your point, Les, about uh, Curtis Jones. I'm hopeful that it's not too bad, and with Subozlai getting back to fitness, it might be. A it might be a case that Sabozlai starts on Wednesday instead of Jones. Uh, yeah. If he if he does have a little niggle and then Jones starts in the FA Cup on the weekend. Well, yeah, I mean, if Jones has got a niggle, a niggle you could um, 
you could leave him out, couldn't you, at the mm. FA Cup game altogether? Yeah. You know what I mean? And just give him, or even put him on the bench and say, you know, just there if needed, so to speak, but give him a bit of a, <clears throat> a bit of a rest. I mean, it could be anyway that with him having that little bit of a niggle, you know, if he, if Jürgen wants to air on the side of caution, but with both Jones and supposedly I, he could start with Gravenberch against mm. against Fulham on Wednesday with Gravenberch and Elliot McAllister, and do it that way. You know what I mean? And he's still got them on the bench, you know, to bring on. Um, but yeah, it was worrying to see him go down mm. and feeling it. But I, it sounds just like, from what Jürgen said in this presser afterwards, it sounds like Kurtz sort of felt it and went down straight away, so he could come off straight away. Where the supposedly yeah. I didn't. So if, they, if there'd have been like another couple of minutes play, then that's where Curtis could have, you know, made it a little bit worse, and then he could have been facing the spell out. But hopefully, you know, we've got there and Curtis has gone down and and stopped anything serious happening. It might just be a little bit of tightness there, and hopefully he'll be he'll be fit and available to to face Fulham on Wednesday. But yeah, it was. It was just a really good second half performance, Ben, and then it was, you know, the the cherry was put on the cake, wasn't it? When Darwin scores again with another lovely finish. Yeah, it, it was a far far better second half performance. Jürgen said it at the end, and um, me and my dad said it at the end of the game as well. Um, not quite night and day between the two, but the second half performance was so much better. Certainly, the performance of you know. Champions elect, I would say. Um, it just had that not aura about it, but just the finishing and the fact that we, I know we, you know, we're not going to Man City away and doing that. It's Bournemouth and they're, they're, they've got a lot of players out in the African nations and with injury. I think the defense is pretty decimated. So we need to put it into context, but so have we. Um, and the conditions were atrocious. So it was. A very, very professional, accomplished performance out in the second half. And we just looked like a team that knows exactly what it's doing. Um, as I think Pete was saying before about players coming in and just looking like they've been there for years. Um, you know, Connor Bradley at right back. You know, for someone making his Premier League debut, you would never have guessed that. And I always can... I don't like to give them praise, but what it's starting to remind me of now is what Fergie used to do at United when players would come into that team and look like they'd been there for a long time. Um, like the he never worked out, but that Mark is it Mark Hayder, that Italian lad who won the league for them the year we came second um under Yeah, Bidet. Mark Hayder, yeah. Yeah, he literally only had about four decent games in his life. Bloody idiots. Um, but they, they always had like players coming in and they always looked like they'd been there. And Jürgen's created a culture now in the whole club of the team playing in the same way. And I'm sure we'll come on to something a little bit later um, where you look at the whole club, the setup all the way from the kids to this team. They all play the same way. When Joe Gomez replaced Trent a while ago at right back, and he started playing the inverted role. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? Joe Gomez is doing it. But it's obviously a club philosophy to do that now. Um, but it 
it was a very impressive second half performance to the point where at 1-0, I thought this game's pretty much done. And at 2-0, it was definitely done. And the commentators said at the end of the game, that 4-3 game, when we, not many like um, Carrius was in goal and we lost 4-3 to them. We were 3-1 up with something like 85 minutes. And I said to my dad, there's no chance that we're throwing this away here. But we're, just, we're just too good defensively now. That The centre-halves were exceptional, weren't they? Um, yeah. the, the pair of them, for the first time this season, looked like an actual partnership. Um, and it was the bedrock of the second-half performance of all from was, was those two. I've got yep. two kids coming on. Had good cameos as well. I say two, and Cave Gordon came on very late, didn't he? Yeah. But I thought Owen Beck and, and Bobby Clark did well as well. There was one run that Bobby Clark did to get us from our 18-yard line to their 18-yard box. Yeah. And I think yeah. Jürgen leading the clap in there. I mean, he was right in front of the Liverpool fans when he, he lost possession or he was tackled. But he, he, he didn't panic at anything, you know. He, he got his head down and he, he took them on and he, he had a good 60, 70-yard run to get us, get us right up the pitch. So I thought him and Owen back did really well when they both came on. Yeah, it, it it's really good, isn't it, Pete, that, that you've had the likes of, you know, uh, Connor Bradley, Kwanzaa, now Owen Beck. You know, we've come in this season from the academy. You know, uh, Bobby Clark as well. You know, Kay Gordon come on within the last for the last couple of minutes of at the time, and you know they've you know they, they haven't looked out of place so to speak, and yeah. it, it's testaments, isn't it? That you know, I mean, Kwanzaa went on loan to Bristol Rovers. You know, Connor spent last season on loan at Bolton, and that them seasons loan have really brought them on. You know, in yeah. terms of yeah, toughening them up, possibly. And giving them the confidence that they could play because I think they're both exceptional talents. I really yeah. do. Despite despite being under the tutelage of um, Joey Barton, he's actually done well, come on, sir, hasn't he? Yeah. To he survive has. him, you know, because we all know, you know, without pointing the thing, you know, Joey Barton's a, a lord unto himself. But yeah, going away to, I think Conor Bradley got player of the year at Bolton by the fans and his fellow professionals. So, you know, there's. You know, he, he he came on he came on against Arsenal in the cup, and and he, he just didn't look out of place. Like Ben said, that just slotting into these positions, and it's the old saying: the play in the Liverpool way. You know, like when when Joe Gomez goes on his sources and he's playing the inverted role. You think only Trent does that? Well, it's not only Trent that does it; it's whoever plays at that position, whoever plays fullback is that's what they do these days. And um, I, yeah, I, I just think. He used to go on about Ajax years ago saying they all play the same way from under nines up to the first team. And I think it's something that's instilled in Liverpool. I don't know if every other academy does it. Maybe they try to do it, I don't know. But um, it seems to be the way that you play the Liverpool way these days and you know exactly what your job is, whether you're 18 years old or or a 30-odd-year-old professional who's been there donkey's years. You just know what your role is, you know. It just shows, doesn't it, as well, Ben, that that, you know, Jürgen and the coaching staff know what what talent they've got, you know, in the young players in the academy. And, you know, you, do, you don't always have to go into the transfer market every time you pick up a, 
a little niggling injury here and a, a little niggling injury there. Because if you if you think about it, you know, I've just mentioned Con, you know, the the young players like Sir Connor who, who play today, but you've also got the likes of Pashetic and Ben Doak, you know, who've always been part also been part of the the first team squad, you know, this this season. All right, Ben maybe hasn't you know, kicked on as much as we hoped he would from pre-season, but that can happen with young players. And there's also young Calvin Ramsey who's just come back to his from his loan at Preston. So, you know, there is a fair amount of talent there, you know, coming through. And, you know, it just shows you, doesn't it, that, you know, you don't always have to go out and spend 30, 40, 50 million quid when you've got an injury, you know, give some of these young kids a chance and they can save you a lot of money. A hundred percent. It's funny the way football has changed, even in my lifetime of, of watching it. Um, there's there's almost a, a victory in winning the transfer window. Um, and we've seen our local neighbours um, win the transfer window a few times and look at the absolute mess that they're in now. And we, we can look further afield um, down at, at another lovely club of Chelsea. Um, and what an utter mad show um, they've had in the last two years with the amount of players that they've signed. They're almost in a process now where they might have to sell probably their best player this season, uh, Conor Gallagher, to, to meet FFP. And he's an academy player. And it's so refreshing that we've got a manager who, you know, is just perfect for us in every way, but believes in doing it that way rather than spending money for spending money's sake. And I know FSG got a lot of stick, predominantly out of the fans of the football club that don't go to the game and say, um, that say, oh, we don't spend enough. And I, I've been one of them in the past where I feel like after we won the league, we could have kicked on a little bit by spending a little bit more. But when you look at the FFP now and the profits and sustainability, um, you know, you look at United. United are struggling to spend money now because of what they've done and the players that they've got on ridiculous wages that they can't get rid of. And we're not like that. And it's refreshing to see uh, the likes of Kwanzaa especially, um, who again, I'll hold my hands up, I didn't really know about before this year. Um, and I'd be a little bit worried if we had to rely on him for the whole season. But if we did, I don't think he'd let us down particularly badly. Um, there's definitely a player there. And it, it, like I said before, it's just what Jürgen has created, the culture within the whole club of these lads coming in, obviously feeling at home in Kirby. Um, and it's probably helped that they're all on the one site now as well. Um, but it's just refreshing like to see like these lads coming on um, and doing well for the club because there is something special about a, a young lad coming through and making it at Liverpool and we've been quite lucky that we've had a few and it looks like we've got some coming through now um, so yeah the, this mini uh, injury crisis if you call it that has been more of an opportunity for these lads to, to show that they are good enough and it's probably going to save the club a lot of money in the summer Pete yeah I think, just, on, sorry. Yeah, just to touch on that, I think as football fans, 
I think we all, even at our age, Les, I think we all still get excited if we get a big signing in the club, don't yeah, we? we you do. know, but isn't it isn't it far better when, like Ben said, you see the likes of a Quanser coming in or the, or the Bradley, or you know, like obviously Trent's the way he came into the side and and he's he's probably like like the superstar that he is now. And as I say, we all like to see these big money signings, but it could, you know, I think given the choice, I'd love to, I'd love to see three or four of the kids come through from the academy and into the first team because it proves you're doing it right from the grassroots, doesn't it? But the other thing it does, Pete, isn't it? If you can, if you can bring, you know, three or four kids through, say from the academy, so it saves you buying three or four players, then you've got the money there to go. For the big player, if you see what I mean. So if somebody comes on the market who's got, who you think, right, you know, this guy's really special. You know, he can take us to the next level. Acker, Allison, a Virgil, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Then Liverpool can say, right, okay, you know, we might only sign one player in the summer and it's going to be him. Right. And we're going to put, instead of signing two fifty million pound players or whatever, we're going to sign a £100 million player because the squad is now being mm. filled up with young up-and-coming talent from the academy that's only going to get better and better and better. Mm. Yeah. I mean, as I said, like Ben said, you don't like to give that other crowd up the slangs any credit, but when they, when they did come through, all those kids, you could say they were lucky. You know, they they got the Beckhams and the gigs and the two Nevilles and the, the butts and all them. You could say they were lucky, but you could also put it down to very astute coaching and um you know, finding these kids. You know, they, they don't just turn up at Man U with the with the boot pack and say, Can I play for you? They've gone out and scouted them and looked at these kids. But it's great to see them coming through. Um more so than that, more so than the likes of your Chelsea's. Who just go out and buy, 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 and like Ben said, they could lose possibly, arguably their best player in midfield to try and just let you know get the FFP down to you know to keep the um, you know the a, a level that they're not going to be uh, hauled over the coals. But yeah, it's great when you see the kids. It, it just it does sometimes disappoint me over the years that there hasn't been more. I mean, we have seen kids coming in and playing little cameos and. You know, off the top of my head, there's been names that came in and, and they actually looked okay. You know, that I think a John Sommerboard who came in and then, for whatever reason, he got bombed at half-time. I think it was against City and he just never saw him again. But there has been kids that have come through who you think, yeah, there's something about this kid. And for whatever reason it might be, it might be that they you don't apply themselves or they get a bad injury and then they, they're not seen again because it's so cutthroat. But... um. This, this crop of young kids that we've got, not just that we saw today, but, you know, even younger again, further down, um, it's, it looks like it's in a, the club's in a healthy position. Yeah, Ben, so after uh, eulogising about the kids, I'll ask you to, to name you, your man of the match um, from today's performance. I think it's a really difficult one today for the man of the match, because I... I don't think anyone stood out head and shoulders above anyone else. So like I mentioned the centre halves before. I thought Ibu was brilliant today. He put his body on the line a couple of times when he needed to, brought the ball out a lot, aka like uh, Joel Matip. Um and McAllister 
So I think Ibu was the best defender, McAllister was the best midfielder, and then I think it, you could toss a coin for the best forward between Nunes and Jota. I think I'd slightly lean uh, towards Jota, but it would be so tight. I, I could argue myself, but I think I will go with McAllister for man of the match. OK, Pete, where are you going? I'll disagree with any any of them. I thought um, Ibu had a great game at the back. He when he wasn't called upon, he had to stick his foot in or his head or whatever he had to and defend. One, one block, Pete. That I think we forgot to mention in the mm. in the second half was like as good as a was yeah. probably the best I chance think... that they created, and that was like that was like him scoring a goal because that was an mm. important. I, I, I think he said in... to mention yeah. that. But, I yeah, think he good. said in commentary the same. He said that in Virgil celebrated yeah, that block. Yeah, the, the chest pump, like, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, both centre-halves played well. We've mentioned Conor Bradley playing. I thought Joe had a decent game as well, playing at the back. Um, I thought McAllister had a really good first half where he not steadied the ship because we were never rocking, but he, he sort of got us into the possession. He, he very rarely wasted a ball. Um I think my man of the match is going to be from one of the front two because the way they played today, I thought Nunes was outstanding with his not just his two goals but his work rate. But I think for his two goals and his assist as well, um, I'd have to give it to Jota today. Okay, yeah, I mean, I can't really argue with anything any of us said. The only thing that I've got a slight uh, argument with Ben over is. I do think there was one player today for the whole of the, the 19 minutes that was head and shoulders above everybody else. And that was Alexis McAllister. I thought, you know, in the first half that we all agreed, you know, was it was disappointing to a degree. I think he was the one who stood out. And, he, you know, that, that level of performance didn't diminish in the second half. And although I totally agree with everything you said about all the other players, especially the... You know, the, the two lads up front in Jota and Nunes and also, you know, the, the whole of the back four, really. You know, I, I'd have to give my player of the match to Alexis McAllister. I thought it was by far his best performance of the club. And he I think he's he's showing us now what a world-class footballer he is. And, you know, it's all boding well, you know, for the rest of the season. So, after giving Alexis getting the man of the match verdict by two to one. We now move on to the second leg of the, the League Cup semi-final, you know, on, on Wednesday. Hopefully, Tom, uh, Tom, Pete, will have maybe a couple of uh, the injured lads back, maybe, possibly, I don't know. Maybe only supposedly I, but we'll, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Um, what I don't think there's much he can do with the team, I think. Uh, do you think he will ask, um, you know, Virgil and Ibu to go again, the same back four, and then take the opportunity to to give one of them a rest against uh, Norwich in the cup at the weekend? It's it is it is a dilemma in a way, isn't it? That you know we've got this big semi final coming up. I think if he changes anything in the back four, I think he might he might bring Quonset in for Canarsie. Um, whether I'm assuming he'll bring Kelleher in and goal, um, and then 
to be honest, I had my magic pencil out trying to guess the team and it was more or less the same as today because I'm not really sure where we're up to with people coming back from injury. I think if Sobrislai's fit, I think he might get a start or he might want to put him on the bench rather than start. So I don't think it's going to be a great deal of difference from today's game, say possibly putting um, Gravine in goal and possibly bringing uh, Quonser into his partner Virgil at the back. Can you not see... Can you not see Cody getting the start then, maybe instead of Louis Diaz, maybe? Or do you think he'll he'll leave Cody and use him from the bench where he's where he's used him quite well and, and quite effectively in the last couple of games? Well, I wouldn't be shocked if Cody played in midfield. Um if Jones is doubtful. Um I hope it I hope that's not the case. But I think I'd be surprised if Canate plays because he had he he looked like he got a little bit of an injury towards the end of the game. He looked like he rolled his ankle, didn't he? Um, yeah, but he carried on and he was. He did, no, he like... did, but I think when you roll your ankle, as long as you keep going, it's fine. It's when you yeah. stop, isn't it? That you, so hopefully he's all right. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he if Kwanzaa starts for him and partners um, Virgil. Um, but and I I think if Sabozlai is fit, I, I think he'll be thrown straight back in. He's a fit lad, isn't he? Um and I think well, this is why Jurgen gets paid the money, isn't it? And he's one of the best managers, if not the best manager in the world, because I don't really know what I'd do up front with the, the amount of fixtures we've got. What I would say is I think it'll be a lot stronger team on Wednesday than at the weekend against Norwich in the Cup at home. Yeah, so that's you'll go full strength then and then play a lot of the kids at Anfield. Yeah, that's a fair shout. And and as I say, I think that um you know it is gonna be difficult to make too many changes with the personnel mm. that we haven't got available. You know what I mean? And I think it's I think it's more in, well, more important uh, you know, that that you know, if, if a player needs a, a sit a game out, then you've got the you know, the Norwich game coming up, get through get through Wednesday, then they can have you know, if anybody is nursing or not, they can have like a Maybe a week off. I mean, you know, against against Norwich, for example, if if Robbo is close to coming back, maybe you could get maybe forty five against Norwich, and and Joe Gomez could possibly play centre half alongside Kwanzaa, and and uh, Robbo and Owen Beck could do maybe forty five each, and Connor Bradley could play again at right back. But that's for the that's for the future, and it you know, but I do think. You know, hopefully, supposedly, I'll be available for, for Wednesday night, which will give us another option. So, I'll just ask you for um, a quick prediction for for Wednesday night, based on the obviously the information that you've both got at the minute. What you're going for for a result? Um, I think I think it will be a draw, um, which will obviously see us through. I think maybe one one, um, but I, I fully expect. Without being over confident, you know, overly confident, I fully expect us to get through to the final. I think we've got enough. There are different propositions to Bournemouth, Fulham. They're a, a decent side. They showed that twice at Anfield already this season. They can play football. Um. So, I, but I think we've got it in us to get a, a draw down at Craven Cottage. Ben, what are you saying? So I'm a. I'll be a bit more optimistic than Peter. I think we'll win on the night, and I wouldn't be shocked if it was two-one again. Um, because I do think Fulham have 
that Jimenez up front and William have caused those problems in the past. And obviously they've got our ex-player as well, haven't they? Um, the Welsh lad whose name has escaped me. Harry Wilson. Harry Wilson, yeah. And I'd be surprised if he starts, but he's a useful enough player. Um, and they've got a couple of decent midfielders. Palinia is a player that I really like and I'd happily have at Anfield. Um, so they have got a decent team, but I do expect that, you know, the three or four of us will be trying to guarantee our Wembley tickets on Wednesday night. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Liverpool can go there and win 2-0. I think that you'll know, think today's second-half performance will give them real confidence to take into into Wednesday. And as we've all said before, it doesn't really matter who comes into the side. They've all got confidence in each other. And they all, you know, and they're all they're all playing with that confidence as well. And they don't panic. So all being well, you know, we we should hopefully be celebrating, you know, a trip to Onfield South come ten o'clock ish on, on Wednesday night. Talking of cup victories, um, Pete, I'll start with you on this one. That was a remarkable victory for the under 18s in the Youth Cup yesterday to beat Arsenal 7 7 1 at home. It was some yeah. performance there, and you know, for again, you know, for all the for all the forwards to get Kubas to get three, and then uh, you know, the other two lads, Cole Doherty and um, Jaden yeah, you know, to get to get to a piece, you yeah. know, that's fantastic. You know, yeah, fantastic display. I didn't get to watch it. I don't know if it was on LFC TV live or anything, but I'll, I'll obviously yeah. watch the rerun of the goals and that. Um, but yeah, to be, you know, I don't know how Arsenal are doing now of the season. I don't know how well or otherwise they're doing, but to just beat someone 7 1, you can only beat what's in front of you. But um, yeah. I think we scored early and then Arsenal equalised after about a quarter of an hour and then it was just just the procession after that. and. Louis Kumas, as you say, he's got a hat trick, uh, and uh, Trent Dozy's uh, and Jaden Dan's weighed in with a couple each. So, you know, to put seven past Arsenal, uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic display by the kids. Yeah, Ben, it was, it was quite tight um, in the first half, and there was a remarkable goal line clearance as well from Josh Davidson, which basically was the turning point in the game because. Not long after he did that with the score at 1-1. Um, you know, Liverpool then went up the other end and went 2-1 up. And that then basically, you know, put us in the driving seat and we got a third just before half-time and then then actually ran away with it in the, in the second half. So, you know what I mean? It was a remarkable result because for, for about... I mean, I watched the game live on LFC TV and for about... You know, fifteen minutes in that in the first half after the equalised, Arsenal went on well on top, and you could only see them sort of scoring and putting us under real pressure. So for the lads to to sort of overcome that that sort of you know change in place, so to speak, from losing control to Arsenal after giving the sloppy goal away, and as I say, that remarkable clearance. It's a remarkable result in the end. Did did anything happen, Les? You, you say Arsenal were in control. Did anything? Did they do anything to lose control, or did Liverpool just take off? No, off? Liverpool. Liverpool basically. Mm-hmm. Liverpool winning one 0 and then basically they give a sloppy goal away. 
um, they tried <laughs> to play a ball out from the back and it got it got sort of it was a bad pass and it got intercepted and Arsenal you know finished it well to level up and Liverpool's confidence seemed to drop a little bit and Arsenal's rose and then Arsenal were in the ascendancy and as I say a remarkable clearance headed clearance off the line sort of put Liverpool well sort of give Liverpool new heart if you like and from then on they sort of bossed the game and killed you absolutely in fact it could have even been more than seven some of the the last last ditch tackles and and possibly a couple of chances where Liverpool could have done better um, you know, it could have been more, but it was a really fantastic. And uh, you know, one player I will mention who, who didn't score, Trey Nioni. What a player he is at sixteen! Wow. He's been on the bench a few times, hasn't he? Yeah. Mm. Wow, he looks. He looks a talent to tell you. What position is he like? He plays in midfield, but his passing is yeah. is superb. Central you know, midfield. Sorry. Central midfield. He doesn't play as the six. He plays as like the eight, as, you, as, as okay. it's called nowadays. But yeah, he's some talent to tell you. Another yeah. one, another one coming through. There's so many of them, really. And so, yeah. you know, you look at them. Another one who I thought had a had a really good game yesterday was Wellity Lucky, who's a centre half, and you know he's got a little bit of pace about him, and and you know he's had a few injury problems since he. I think he coming from Spain. And he think he's had a few injury problems, but he certainly looks the part. Mm. And the young the other lad that they got from um, from West Ham, Nello, he played he played left back yesterday and, and played played really well. So it, it all bodes well for for you know for the future where Liverpool Liverpool basically now the the looking and and sort of yeah, they like to do well in the competitions, but it's all about developing mm. players for the first team now, rather than you know winning trophies at under eighteen and under twenty one level. And if they do do that, then it's going to be a bonus. No, it's good, and uh, the the playing Man United aren't they in about ten days? Um, yeah, which will be another interesting one. Hopefully, another seven now, yeah. like the first team of last season. But <laughs> no, it's exciting times, and like I said earlier, it it just shows you that yeah, you're gonna just instill the mindset of the whole culture of the club in one direction. Um, and it's great to see. Hopefully, one or two of the lads make it, and then we'll all be happy. Yeah, just before we finish, and we can't do a pod without giving him a mention, even though he wasn't playing today. Mo Salah. It's just been confirmed while we've been on air that he is coming back to to Liverpool to get treatment on the injury picked up playing for Egypt. Um, and if all goes well, he should be available again for possibly the the seventh of February. Either that's when Egypt are in, involved in a in a knockout game in the Afcon or when Liverpool play Arsenal. So the right decision, P, for for them to to come back to Liverpool to to have his treatment? I'd rather him come back here than and, and, and I'm not having to go with Egypt at all, their medical staff, but you want your own medical staff to assess them, don't you? Um, I mean, I'm looking at the final fixtures for the group that are Egypt are in and they're playing Cape Verde in the last game and they've won their first two games. So it's not a given that Egypt are actually going to get through. They might... They might get through. I think the way things are, even if they lose, they'll probably go into 
I don't know how it works, but I don't know if there's playoffs or whatever. I don't know how the, the it's system the, it's works. The, it's the best. It's the top two in each group plus the best four. Right. Uh, well, if, if, Egypt were, if Egypt were to lose to Cape Verde, that would leave them on two points. And then depending on the Ghana Mozambique results, I'm, I'm saying I don't know much about it. I'm reading this from my phone because I haven't really watched any of the football there. Yeah. Depending on the Ghana Mozambique score, if Egypt were to lose, they may even miss out on on going through. Um, and from a selfish point of view, I hope that's the case. But it's the same with Endo and Japan. I can't see Japan failing. But yeah, well, there's they, rather they, the they lost yesterday, didn't they? Japan, so they've only won one game as well. All oh, right, okay, okay, but yeah, I'd rather have medical Iraq, staff. Sorry, what's that mean? Yeah, Japan lost to Iraq, yeah, huh? Endo scored, yeah, Endo scored, but they lost 2 1, I think. Mm. Yeah, all right, it was a consolation goal yeah. as well. They were 2 0 down, yeah, yeah. But anyway, in answer to your question, yeah, I'm, I'm glad he's coming to be assessed by our medical staff rather than the Egyptians take a look at him because, as I say, with all the best will in the world, he, he may. Look at him and say yes, you know. But they might try and patch him up and get him to play again, and that's the last thing you want, really. Yeah, good point. That by piece, isn't it, Ben? Uh, you know, if we're assessing him, we'll only let him go back. You know, if if Egypt progress, if we think he's fit and ready to go back, it won't be a case of, well, you know, we're playing in a. You know, you might only be fifty percent fit, but if you can get through this game, that's all that matters to us. And then you put him out for a further few weeks, you know, for Liverpool. I think it's important that he comes back, gets the best medical care that, that that we can give him to get him fit as soon as possible. And if that then helps Egypt later on in the tournament, should he progress, fair enough. But we don't want him playing, do we? Until you know, until he is a hundred percent fit. No, I mean, you know, being harsh about it, we're paying his wages, um, and you know. I'll, I'll make no bones about this. I hope Japan and Egypt go out of the group stages. Yeah. You know, absolutely, as absolutely. as I would hope that England go out of the group stages and Trent comes home. Like I'll yeah. you know, yeah. Liverpool, I would rather Liverpool win a corner um than England win the World Cup, but that's another story. Um <laughs> so um yeah, I think Mo Salah probably realises now as well that Egypt probably don't have a great chance of going through. And if they do go through you know, they're not going to win the tournament, are they? They've been atrocious so far. Very lucky to actually get a point in the second game. Well, in both games, Mo, Mo scored a penalty in the last minute in the first game, didn't he? To, yes. get, a, to get a point. And then the second game, they were 2-1 down till quite late, I think. Um, so, yeah, um, it makes sense for him to come back. Um, I just hope Egypt take it all right when he lines up at Craven Cottage on Wednesday. Yeah. On that note, on that note, um, optimistic note, should I say, from, from Ben to see Mo on the team sheet on Wednesday. Um, I'm hopeful that Egypt get knocked out and, and he's on the team sheet against Chelsea or on the bench against Chelsea. That'd be my big hope. But anyway, we shall see. And on that note, we'll end this uh, latest edition of the late flag. Thanks to Pete and Ben for joining me, Les Lawson, your host tonight. Hopefully, Tommy will be fit and available for selection for the to do the late flag after the Fulham game on. Probably will record it on Thursday. And as I always say at the end of these pods, justice for the 97. Don't bite the sun. 
and you'll never walk alone. Until next time, see you soon.